Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. I'm very excited to be interviewing Lindsay Gottlieb, the head basketball coach for the uh, University of California Berkeley Women. Um, one of uh, the interesting things about Lindsay is she was born on October 2nd, which is Gandhi's birthday, so that makes you a special <laughs> person. Uh, third year as uh, head women's basketball coach at the University of California, Berkeley. Before that, she was at the University of uh, UC Santa Barbara, where she was Big West Coach of the Year. And, Lindsay, I have to tell you that I was talking to somebody down in Santa Barbara a while back, and they uh, they mentioned you, and they were so excited uh, how well you're doing at uh, at Cal. And uh, you got a lot of fans down in uh, in Santa Barbara area. Last year, uh, she took the Cal women's basketball team to the Final Four for the first time in history, tied with Stanford for the Pac-10 conference title, something that is also very unusual. Most wins in Cal's history, uh, 32, Pac-12 Coach of the Year, one of four finalists for the Naismith Coach of the Year, and I just can't understand why you're only a finalist. You should have been the, the winner of that. <laughs> Uh, Lindsay, it's so great to to be able to interview you for this podcast and uh, share your uh, experience and wisdom with coaches and athletes and parents all across the country. Well, I'm really flattered to be uh, to be on the call with you, and that was quite the the introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, definitely good to know that um, uh, the people in Santa Barbara feel sort of as warmly about me as I did about my time there. Um, not only is it a beautiful place, but it was a wonderful first head coaching job for me. And then obviously, um, you know, going through the success that we've had here at Cal is really neat to hear. Um, but I can honestly say it is more about the people and the relationships. And I think we've done some special things um, even beyond uh, those accolades. So it's, it's, I'm really excited to get to talk to you about kind of what we're about and some of these important topics. Yeah, you know, there's a, a lot of a lot of co- uh, college coaches jump around, and I think it's worth mentioning you were a, an assistant at Cal before you went down to Santa Barbara. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I was uh, the assistant and associate head coach here. I was here for three years, um, and it's never, you know, easy to, to to leave somewhere. Obviously, I think you're doing something wrong if it doesn't feel hard. Um, you know, to, to make a move, but I was ready to be a head coach. Um, it was very important to me to kind of maintain the relationships at Cal, but also to be fully invested in Santa Barbara. And then, um, you know, when the opportunity came uh, to come back here to Cal, you know, I told people it, it wasn't just any job. It was my dream job. Uh, I certainly had, had other opportunities, and I wasn't looking to leave Santa Barbara, but this was the one that just the synergy of it all um, kind of made a lot of sense. So I've been fortunate to be in the UC system now for uh, for nine straight years and six at, at, at Cal and, and three at Santa Barbara. So um, the the uh, I, I really um, began to pay attention to you when I when this woman from Santa Barbara area was talking about you. But then in the Final Four first round last year, when uh, Cal was playing Louisville, and I think you were up by four or five points. Uh, you've been up by more, and the, the, your lead was shrinking. And and Brittany Boyd, who I just have uh, I just love to watch her play, your point guard. Um, she came down twice in a row and threw the ball away and. Then had one of the most remarkable exchanges I've ever seen a coach have in a in a Final Four, you know, really high pressure game. She looked over at you and you said something like, "You're okay, you're okay, you're good," 
and she turned and hustled back on defense, and he got a stop, and she came down the next time and made a three. You know, give Louisville credit. They came from behind to win, but I think that uh, that exchange you had with Brittany is um, that's the kind of coach we want to have, the kind of coaching we want to have for every single youth athlete in the country. Can you talk a little bit about that that moment? Definitely. Um... I mean, it even still feels surreal for you to be telling a story about a Final Four game. Uh, you know, I think all of us feel just so fortunate to have been on that stage. But I think no matter what stage you're on, your, your principles and who you are and how you go about it shouldn't change. So no matter how big the game is or what the stakes are, um, you know, I believe really strongly that um, athletes respond better to the positive. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't have to motivate them. It doesn't mean that we don't have to correct them or even criticize, but in the heat of the moment when someone has made a mistake, uh, I just believe strongly that, A, they need sort of from me a vote of confidence, I believe in you, you got this kind of thing. But in particular, I think it's it's really productive to think forward. You know, what can we do going going ahead to make the next play versus lamenting what just happened or even worse, berating for just what for what happened there. Um, my relationship with Brittany is, is really special. You know, she, she pretty much started from day one as a freshman, and, and I'm very cognizant of young players who are super talented like that. You know, their, their development is really important, and, and to be let, let them – play through some mistakes and, and know you're in it with them is, is really important. Obviously, as coaches, we have to make playing time decisions. You know, we have to take people out of games. We have to, you know, sort of figure out what, what mistakes are tolerable and what aren't. But in terms of my demeanor, um, you know, I, I, I have players that are so invested in what we're doing that I know if they make a mistake, they're the most, you know, devastated one there. And so my job is to make sure that they're doing the next thing better. And, and, and a vote of confidence, a positive interaction is always going to be more beneficial than, than something else. You, know, you said something interesting back there about you want to focus forward. And uh, at Positive Coach Alliance, we talk about always the most important play is the next play. There's nothing you can do about the play. It just went by. So that, And I think, as you're saying, uh, being positive, reinforcing, supporting somebody when they make that kind of mistake is more likely to get them to be in the moment for the next play. No question about it. I mean, it's. I mean, every study sort of will, will tell you that if if you're, you know, you know, on sports psychology and focus training and things like that, that that you, it's only detrimental to 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 be thinking about what has happened past. But just in in human relations and coaching feel, whatever, however we want to call it, um, you know, just my my belief is that it's not productive. You know, to to kind of be part of the whining about what just happened. I want to be productive and make sure, you know, we're ready for the next play as a team, you know, collectively and individually. Again, it doesn't mean we don't use timeouts to make corrections and adjustments, you know, things that have to have, have to happen differently. But in the moment, um, I, I believe strongly that that player-coach relationship needs to set them up for success on the next play. So believing that and articulating that, saying that is one thing, actually being able to do it uh, in – you know, it's like here you are uh, in, your, I think it was your second year or third year that you, when you got to the Final Four. And, yeah, it was my second uh, year at Cal. Second year, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, it's hard to get to the Final Four. I, I read something uh, recently that said there, there are only eight coaches that have taken their team to the Final Four uh, in the last few years, and you're one of them. Uh, in that moment, it's got to be really hard to be positive when it's like, oh, my God, if only she'd hadn't thrown that ball away. Um, well, sure, it's a high, it's sort of a high emotion profession that we're in. Um, but, but from the time I've become a head coach, um, one of my major 
philosophies and, and, and things, things I think about a lot, I always want to coach from a point of control and being calculated. I, I am very acutely aware that my, my players hang on every message I give. I mean, that's a good thing. I guess when they stop doing that, that'll be a problem. Um, but I think, I think with that, um, you know, comes a lot of responsibility that I am very cognizant of everything I say and the impact it will have. And so I, I, I you know, of course, as a coach, you get frustrated. You may even get at times angry, although I sort of try not to be in that realm. I mean, what, you know, I don't think anger is a good emotion when it comes to coaching, but you might get worked up or you might get stressed or you might get hyped in some way. But I try to make sure that whatever I say comes from a point of I'm doing it conscientiously. So if I'm getting on a player, it is from a point of, hey, I think they need this right now. Or if I'm being positive or whatever it might be, I want to make sure that, 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 Whatever emotion I'm feeling, I'm not projecting onto them. I don't think that's a productive way to coach. I don't think it's effective, and I don't think it gets the best out of your players. Um, I, I have a really good example of, I think, what was the hardest uh, point from that same NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we wouldn't be talking about the Final Four if we hadn't won the second round game. Uh, and we were playing a very good South Florida team, University of South Florida, and we had played really well to get a 10 point lead with one minute to go. Now, anybody in, in sports will tell you. A 10-point lead with a minute to go has to be a win. In my book, if it's not a win, it's it's the coach's fault. <laughs> um, but sure enough, there was sort of this just, you know, layer upon layer of errors. I mean, we were missing free throws. Then uh, we fouled a three-point shooter. Then missed more free throws. Then we let them score. You know, and all of a sudden, uh, we're up by three with a couple of seconds left. You know, and of course, I call a timeout. You know, we say switch all screens and whatever we do, don't foul three-point shooter. And we come out of the timeout, and my, and my best player, you know, Laser Clarendon, all-American, all-everything, great leader, great player, high IQ, she fouled, fouled the three-point shooter with .2 seconds left. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid on the other team makes all three free throws, which is, you know, kudos to her. That's a pressure situation. And we're heading into overtime. And they had all the momentum, you know, and, and at that point I was very aware of whatever I said in this huddle was going to determine how we come out to start overtime. And I mm-hmm. looked the kids in the eye and I said, very sort of vehemently, not one person looks back. Not one person. Leja, you don't look back. I don't look back. We're looking forward, and we're going to win this five minutes. You know, and, and it was really important to me that I did not let them for a second lament what had just happened. Now we do the huddle. We say, you know, go Bears, whatever, and they go out to start the the, the start of the overtime. And I put my hand over my face, look, leaned right into my associate head coach Charmin, and I said. Oh my gosh, that did not just happen, you know, but I I couldn't let the team see that. And sure enough, we win the tip, we get fouled, and one of my players, Rashawn DeGray, makes two free throws. On that possession, I said, we're winning this game. And, and I don't know, you know, maybe if I had gone crazy and I said, don't foul the three-point shooter and what are we doing, maybe maybe we don't make those first two free throws. Maybe we don't win in overtime. Uh, and, and so that, to me, was really, really important that I didn't show any negative emotion. And I think that's what, you know, propelled us through, you know, their ability to, to, to win in overtime was very much a function of what our mentality was going into that overtime period. Wow. Wow. Um, the um, you, you come from a very different background than a lot of your players. Um and I, I remember talking with Bill Walsh uh, quite a few years ago now, and he, he said that it used to be coaching football used to be easy because all the kids were basically the same. They came from farm farm uh, communities or small towns, and they're all white, and you know they had the same ethics. And now uh, 
now then, coaching football is so different, so much harder because it, there's so much diversity, and you have to um, you have to take that into account. Uh, it seems like even though you come from a very different background and place than many of your players, you've got an incredible relationship with them. How how does that? How have you done that? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it is one of the things I feel most fortunate about. Um, you know, my time coaching here um, is is the relationship with these with these players. Um, it is is the most fulfilling, rewarding part of the job. I mean, the Final Four was incredibly fun. Championships, I hope we get a lot more. Um, but uh, Devin A. Hampton, who was on our first team here, uh, is actually right outside my hallway. I don't know if you can hear her little one-year-old son making noise out there, but but they're family. You know, these, these people are, are, are family, and, um, you know, they come back, and, and it is the most important part. I would say from a philosophy standpoint, you know, coaching, to me, um, building relationships with the players, especially female athletes, is the most critical thing. You know, I, I, I think the tendency, you know, we have to we have to be critical on the court. We have to get them to be better than what they think they can be. Um, and, and it's really important to me, especially, you know, in the coaching kind of female athletes in general, that if I say to them at any point during the season, hey, we need to rebound better, we need to hard hedge, you need to hard hedge that screen quicker, that that's what they hear and that they don't hear, but, you know, she doesn't like me or you don't you don't think I'm worthy or you don't think I'm a good enough person. And I work really, really hard to make sure that they know I care about them in every aspect of life so that if I am critical from an athletic standpoint that that's what it is. You know, that, that it's a it's a it's a purely a production thing or a you know a technical or tactical thing. Um and and I think A that that makes the whole thing more rewarding if those relationships are real and genuine. It actually leads to a better ability for me to, to push them and coach them and um and get the best out of them. In in terms of the, the, the demographic and, 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 and my connection to these young people, I will say when I when we came I came with Joanne Boyle who was my, my boss at the University of Richmond for three years and then out here um, I was scared. You know, I was nervous um, that that these players would be at a higher level than I ever played at, and different backgrounds. And am I going to be able to be effective, um, you know, coaching them? And, and a couple things I found out right away. Um, you know, I, I knew my stuff on the court. I stepped on the court with Devin a. Hampton and Ashley Walker, and if they believed that I knew basketball and could make them better, they were there was going to be a respect level. And then once they knew how much I cared about them as people then they'll run through a wall for me. Um, and and that, that was a really neat process. I mean, I think when I first met Dev and some other people, you know, here in the program, they probably looked at me, you know, as like I was an alien, you know, from outer space. I'm so different in terms of background. And, and, I, and I looked at them like, hey, how, how can I find this connection? But, but you work at it. And I, and I remember, you know, kind of immersing myself in who they are and who their families are and caring and, you know, late night conversations about their schoolwork or, or, or moments, you know, on the bus ride after a great win or a tough loss. I mean, you build those connections. And um, I, I know that I have a lot of people in this program um, that, that are not just, you know, my, my players. We don't just have a, you know, professional kind of relationship. It's family. Um, and, and, and that's something that I value very much. And um, when I came back, to be the head coach, and I met with each player individually, um, you know, sort of before getting getting going, and I listened to them. They all sort of said in different ways, um, different styles, but they all kind of had the same message, which is we don't want to only come to your house when it's for recruiting. You know, we don't want you to not like us if we don't play well. You know, they, this particular group wanted relationship beyond just 
two and a half hours of practice. And I don't know if that's because some of them don't come from the most privileged backgrounds or some of them don't have, you know, necessarily, um, uh, you know, all kind of grow up with the, with the nuclear family. Some have, some haven't. But I think in general, you know, college athletics now is, is really, really an investment of time and emotion. And you want to be connected to the people you do it with. And, and that's just my personality. And, and that has come naturally to me. And it's really, really neat that the demographics may be different, but we've, we've built family relationships. You know, there's a term transactional coaching. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you play well for me and I'll, I'll do this for you. Um, and what struck me when you're talking about it is that building relationships is transactionally valuable. It, uh, you know, it helps you win more. But it's really clear from talking with you, listening to you, that, uh, that, that those relationships are important uh, for their own sake, not just because that will help your team win. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think as a coach, you have to you have to be authentic. You know, you have to. Doesn't I read books on other people's coaching styles? I learn. Um, you know, you kind of try to to take intel on what works and what doesn't work. But I think the best thing you can do is uh, sort of be who you are. You know, and, and be okay with that. Um, and for me, it feels natural uh, to, to meet these players where they are to try to get them to where they need to be. Meaning, sure, we have standards, you know, team standards and rules and, 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 and levels of, you know, conduct and all those things. But I also sort of feel what comes naturally to me is not necessarily to, 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 to judge or grade or, you know, be sort of hardline. It's more to say, figure out where these, where these kids are, what they need, and connecting there will help me to get them where they need to be. Yes, for performance and for our team you know, success, but but more so just as being an influential mentor and person in their lives. And, and I think um, for me that has that has really worked. Again, it's not everybody's everybody's way, but I, I understand that they have different you know backgrounds and situations. For 17 years, and then I get them, you know, at age 17 and a half or 18, and, and I have an incredible responsibility from an academic and athletic and human growth perspective to to help them succeed and function at the highest levels possible. And for me, that's the, the, the core of it. And so that relationship piece intrinsically in and of itself has a lot of value to me beyond performance on the court. Was this year um, where you didn't make it to the Final Four? And, of course, uh, we live in a what-have-you-done-for-us-lately society. Um, <laughs> was, um, was, it, was it disappointing? Was it a hard season? Uh, I mean, it was a great season. And if you hadn't gone to the Final Four the year before, it would have been seemed like a great season. Uh, was yeah. it hard to not, not get back to that? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at it, when you step back and look at the big picture, you know, to have lost a very close game and, you know, in the, in the second round or what was a close game for most of the game, uh, 22 wins, you know, second place in the Pac-12, and to be disappointed with that, like, then I'm like, okay, you know, we're, we're in a pretty good place as a program if that's what, you know, is, is as a result slightly disappointing. Um, it was a really um, – interesting year. It was a hard year at times, but ultimately it was rewarding. And I, I say that because, um, you know, the expectations coming back from the Final Four were, were tremendous. I mean, even just in a sort of casual way, people would talk me on the street and say, oh my gosh, what a, what a great year. But don't worry, you'll get back next year and you'll, you'll win it all. <laughs> and I'm sort of that's really going, helpful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's of course you. What I said to people was, I don't mind the expectations at all. The questions in the preseason from media: Do you think you can win a Pac-12 title again? You know, what is the goal now? Always the Final Four. Those are the types of conversations 
we want to be in. That's what I want for this program. I want it to be kind of the, one of the elite women's basketball programs where people expect um, you know, success all the time. So I have no problem with those expectations. The interesting thing was not only did we lose, you know, three tremendous players, but everybody else who was returning was returning in a different role. And what I mean by that is, you know, really, really big contributors, you know, Brittany Boyd and Rashonda Gray were now having to be leaders and stars, Afure, you know, they were in that mold. Role players had to step up and play major minutes. New freshmen had to come in. And so it was a lot of moving parts, and it was um, – you know, not seamless from the very beginning. Not because anybody came in and was cocky and, oh, we're on, you know, it's their natural, they're human, their kids, oh, when we get back there this year, and they sort of forget how how the year before it was, we need to be better on Tuesday, and then we need to beat this team on Thursday, and then, oh, we need to, you know, get back in the gym the next day, and, and it's um, it's a process, and it's all those little steps that lead to the big success. What I did say continually throughout the year is that I thought this team had the best chance to improve the greatest amount from November to March of any team I've ever been around. And to be honest, I I think we did. You know, we went on an eight-game winning streak after consecutive losses to Stanford, where I I saw a lot of growth in the losses to Stanford, and then we won eight in a row um, heading into the end of the season. Um, and, And so it was rewarding in a lot of different ways. Was it satisfying, the ultimate results? No. And to be honest, I think the spring has been great because I think the, the the players are back to that a little bit of that like salty feeling that you know they have that hunger of we didn't get exactly what we wanted, and so it's natural now they're you know the workouts this spring are probably more focused and disciplined in a way that we couldn't have had last spring because we didn't know any better um and, and so uh I've learned a lot this year I think w- if and when we get back to a final four, I'll probably even be a better coach coming off of Final Four because I'll have done it before. But as a team, I think it's been neat to go through this process with these young people that I'm very close with. And you have Brittany coming back as a senior, right? We have Brittany and Rashonda coming back. Um, yeah. So we could have, you know, two, uh, you know, top five players in their position in the in the country. I mean, I saw preseason, you know, next year's draft already that had Brittany in a mock draft at four and Rashonda at six. I mean, so we have two really, really, you know, superstar type players with I think the key being the other returning players, you know, their their improvement level, and we've seen a lot of stuff from our, you know, the biggest jump is freshman to sophomore year. So our, our this year's freshmen, it will be sophomores' big jumps, and we expect our freshmen to contribute. So it's really exciting. You know, I'm, I'm excited for for the future and um, you know this upcoming season in particular. Um, I'm going to say the same thing in two different ways. I, um, I I heard somebody quoted the Buddha to me, and he said that uh, all all human suffering is due to expectations. And then recently somebody uh, I work with uh, had this really pithy way of saying it. Expectations are an appointment with disappointment. Um, and it seems to me one of the things that expectations do is they take you out of the moment. You, know, you get to the final four, you, you play your best because you're staying in the moment, and the expectations uh, are a huge distraction. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's valid. I think the way that I that I like to look at it because again, you want you want high standards. You want you want in general a high expectation level f- for the program. It, it it's neat for me to track the growth of now Cal basketball is at a different plane, you know, in everybody's minds than it used to be. Where I try to be very um aware is that if you're in this profession and you're doing what we do day to day driven at, at from a results-based proposition versus a process-based, 
you know, value set, then you're in trouble. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, and I say this in recruiting all the time to the, the parents and kids who sit in my, you know, in my uh, office, said I, I, I hope that in your the four years that that, that you're here, um, you know, we're winning four championships, going to four Final Fours, you know, four All Conferences, averaging 20 points. But I, no one can guarantee that, right? I can't guarantee it. What I what I do feel that I can guarantee um, is that your day-to-day, what the process is like every day, is that I will consistently, you know, care about you, put you in high-level situations, value you as a person, the academics, we can guarantee that, you know. And and to me, that's the process. That's who you are and what you do every single day. I believe strongly that if you do the process a certain way, it will yield results, that, that there will be wins, that there will be championships. But if you're only driven by the results, you're, deem, you're doomed to, I think, be sort of unfulfilled at times because no one can guarantee. And, and if you're only caring about results, then even the results may not fulfill you if they, if they happen that way. It's, it, you know, the parade and the cutting down the nets and the championships, don't get me wrong, I'm competitive and it is the way to go. You know, it's, it's fun <laughs> and it's, it, it, it's what you strive for. At the same time, I know the value of the wins we've had and the celebrations we've had, they've been meaningful because of the people that you do it with. They've been meaningful because of the process we went through. And so I think that's where you have to focus in order for the, for the results to come versus vice versa. So I have no problem with expectations. I have no problem with the goals being set high, but I think you, you lose your way if it becomes only about the result and not about the process. Well, there's um, a lot of research in sports psychology that talks about uh, ego orientation versus a, ta- versus a task orientation. And at PCA, we translate that into a scoreboard orientation or a mastery orientation. And the, uh, the research shows that if you focus on the task, if you focus on mastery, getting better, everything else being equal, you win more. So and, and, you know, everything you're saying is reflecting that that research. Uh, I, I read a book a while back uh, about Vince Lombardi called When Pride Still Mattered. Um, and the thing that really stood out for me was how unhappy Vince Lombardi was. They would win the Super Bowl and they'd mm-hmm. you know, they'd celebrate that night. He'd get up the next morning and he'd be miserable because now he's, he's worried that he's not going to win the next year. And I also just read the, the new John Wooden biography by Seth Davis. Um, and John Wooden uh, said, if there's someone you like, wish, uh, if there's a coach I like, uh, I wish him uh, to win an NCAA title. If I don't like him very much, I wish him to win multiple NCAA titles. So, <laughs> um, so this, uh, I, just, I really admire the way you uh, keep focused on the process when there are all these expectations. Let, let me... Um, when I interviewed you a while back, you, you, you used two words together that usually are not together, focus and fun. And, you know, lots of coaches, you know, focus, focus, focus. Um, but you, you paired them, focus and fun. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no question. I think um, that almost sort of became our trademark of the Final Four year. And what was neat about that year is that there were a lot of things that we just do that were just part of who we are at Cal Basketball that took on – you know, a lot more attention on the national stage, but that's just what we what we did regardless of if it was on ESPN or not, you know. Um, and, and I believe very strongly that, you know, my world is college athletics, so that's what I can speak to, that I, I believe there's no reason that college athletics should be miserable for the players who are in it. Is it hard? 
Absolutely. I, you know, I don't mean to say that my players love every single sprint that we do or, you know, every single, okay, redo the drill to get it right. I mean, obviously there's, you know, it's, it's athletics, you're driven and you're pushed, but there's no reason that they shouldn't on the whole enjoy, you know, what they're, what they're doing. And, and the main thing comes from really being part of something special, knowing that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that actually helps you know, the people who are playing two minutes a game, you know, feel as valuable as people playing 25 minutes a game because they're all part of something bigger. In addition, I think um, it, it sort of allows you to – allows me actually to be comfortable with this idea that those two things, focus and fun, are not mutually exclusive. You know, we, we tend to have players who are charismatic. They're gregarious. They like to dance and laugh and have a good time. And isn't that how we all should be? I mean, isn't isn't that how we all should live if every day we do those things? And I thought we, we had a unique ability with that group to, to, to laugh and enjoy and goof and then step on the lines, through the lines, you know, and be very competitive and be very focused. Um, and and it, it didn't hurt our ability, you know, to want to get the job done. And in fact, I think sort of not being 100% serious all the time, 24 hours a day, allowed us to be more focused when it was time to focus. Mm. You know, and as a coach, you have to have a pulse of your team. You know, if you have young kids and you have freshmen who aren't as good as turning the switch on and off, then maybe you need to be more cognizant of that. But in general, I think they're 18 to 22-year-olds playing basketball, you know, in, in, in college and, and, and going to school. Um, we're doing them a disservice if, if, if we try to turn them into droids, you know, or, or, or professionals because they're not. And, and I think if you can find that proper balance where they're, they really care about it, they really want to win, they're really competitive, but it's okay to laugh and have a good time and enjoy one another, again, like we've been talking about, that actually leads to more success and more production, and they're functioning at their highest level. So that kind of became our, our MO, and uh, if, if we're going to be known for something, I'm pretty pretty proud to be known for that. I just uh, just uh, these two words popped into my head: joyless droids. Uh, uh, <laughs> it seems like a lot of athletes um, uh, look that way. You mentioned recruiting earlier. Um, I um, I talked to Jim Mora Jr. Uh, when he was uh, before he was hired to be the football coach at UCLA, and um, you know he he had been an NFL head coach, and I said, do you really do you really want to? Uh, want to get in the college game, uh, you know, and where you have to do all this recruiting. And he said, I love recruiting. And he went on for several minutes about how he, he loves, uh, you know, sitting in a, a, a young man's home and talking to the parents. And how, how do you, uh, how do you feel about recruiting and how do you approach it? Um, there are definitely things I love about it. You know, that you get to form relationships and, 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 and like you said, go, go into homes and, sit with parents and say, you know, your child can get a degree from the University of California. You know, like that's really neat. Um, you also get to, to give these young people opportunities that they might never otherwise have. There are definitely things that are that are kind of, you know, frustrating and grueling about recruiting too and sort of the craziness that comes in with it. But, but what I focus on is um, who we are and, 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 and how we do things and trying to open the doors and windows and every which way for people to step into Cal basketball and see what we're about. You know, what I, what I tell the people that, that we're recruiting, you know, you know, the most heavily is that I want to be transparent with the process. I want you to choose to come to Cal, not because I, you know, really wowed you in a 48-hour period and, 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 you know, 
showed you all these spectacular things that sweep you off your feet. I want you to come because you know us on our good days and our bad days. You see how I am when we're up 20 and winning 10 in a row, and you see how I am when we lose at the buzzer. You know, that, that you see what I'm like when we don't have practice and the kids are stopping through the office and you see what I'm like on game day and everything in between. And that, to me, is really neat. You know, I think recruiting makes you turn the lens around on yourself and who are we and what are we about. And to me, I want someone to choose to say, this is the place I want to be. This is who I want to do it with. These are the coaches I, I want. Um, and that's the way I, I approach it. I try to make it less about, you know, a game or winning this, you know, tactic or anything like that um, and more about kind of opening the doors to, to what we do every day and letting people take a look and say, okay, is that something I want to be a part of? Um, and, and, and that really is fun. And, and, and the connections you form with these young people who are in this really exciting time of their life of choosing what's next, um, it's neat to be part of that, especially, you know, that day they say, I want to come to Cal, and then you realize it's the beginning of a journey, you know, of, of what they're going to be like as a freshman and then how they grow up over the time of college and then what it's like having relationships with them long after they graduate. So it's it's there's something unique about about being in the college world, and and that's one of the the really neat things. Cool. Um, one of the concepts we talk about is uh, having a rivalry to be proud of. Um, you know, it seems like very often rivalries. Uh, yeah, in fact, I, there was a lot in the media about the the Golden State Warriors and the and the L.A. Clippers and how that's such a great rivalry because they didn't like each other. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about your rivalry with Stanford and uh, your relationship with Tara Vanderveer? It's it's pretty incredible. Um, and the fact that you can even sort of call it a rivalry now <laughs> makes me uh, makes me really proud because – you know, I think it's tough to call some something a rivalry when only one team is winning. <laughs> so we've we've worked really hard um, to to be competitive with them and and to win a couple now and again because they set the standard so high. Um, it's it's really neat. I mean, the consistency of excellence that that the, Tara Vanderveer and her staff have have established at Stanford is is remarkable. You know, on any level, um, and in women's basketball, it's one of the the ones that that really stands out. Um, what I think is really unique is is that Tara has this um, really great perspective on that. She wants Cal to be good. She wants Bay Area basketball to be strong. She wants what's good for the game. And, and I think she she has sort of taught me that mentality um, from the time you know I, I arrived here, and she's been consistent with it you know throughout the years. Um, so I think it's it, it's really healthy and fun. And I think you know we always want to win the Battle of the Bay. But more, more importantly, I think it's neat that the Battle of the Bay has become the biggest event in women's basketball, you know, on the West Coast, that there'll be 10,000 people in Haas and that, um, you know, the Cal players root for Stanford when they're in the NCAA tournament, we're not playing, and, Cal, and Stanford roots for us. But on those days we're playing each other, of course, we want to want to win that time. And, and I think it's what a rivalry should be. You know, I can give you a couple – stories of how Tara backs up what she says. I, I mean, there are not that many people in athletics that walk the walk the way she does of of really wanting to mentor and help younger coaches. I mean, I, I think she sees that I'm going to be doing this maybe after she, you know, is retired and, and she cares about the game, you know, and wants the game to be good. And when I got the head job at Santa Barbara, um, she called me and offered advice about hiring a staff, and I appreciated that. Um, and then we played them my first year in the NCAA tournament as a UCSB head coach, and we were the 15 seed and they were the two seed with quite a few WNBA players on the court. You know, and she, she said in the press conference, we've learned things from, from what Lindsay's running. I mean, those are the things you don't need to do that help my career and, and, and help me uh, personally. And then here uh, at Cal, 
um, we were put in the same bracket uh, in that our final four year. And in the Sweet 16, you know, we, we were playing LSU. They were playing Georgia. If we both had won, obviously we would have faced off each other. And they ended up losing to Georgia. And obviously we had to focus on beating LSU. And, and when we did beat LSU, um, one of the first uh, phone calls I got after that, you know, congratulating um, – us on moving forward to the Elite Eight was from Tara, and, and she said, anything you need. If you need help with Georgia, you let me know. And I'm thinking in the middle of her own disappointment, um, you know, she had been to three Final Fours in a row or four Final Fours, whatever it was, and must have been disappointed, but she thought, A, to congratulate me and then to offer help and advice. I mean, those are the type of, of things that she does, and, and, and there's no question that's had an impact on me. And, um, you know, it, you learn how to do it from the people that are around you, and it, that certainly will when I'm in her stage, you know, and I am the, you know, maybe the 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 elder of the of the two people in a relationship, and then the one with all the experience, I'm certainly going to pass that along to to whoever my competitor may be. So it's it's pretty neat. I think Tara is great. She's an unbelievable coach. We have different teams with different styles. I think it's really fun, you know, to prepare for them and them to prepare for us. I think it makes for a good show. It's a great rivalry. But underneath it, the core you know value of it is that there are two teams that really like and respect one another. Um, you know, and how we do things, and, and, and we root for each other, except when we're when we're playing each other. We have a, a phrase uh, in PCA called "fierce and friendly," uh, and again, this what I was saying earlier about the Warriors and the Clippers, and how the media was building up this idea that they really didn't like each other, and that's the key to a to a, a good rivalry. Uh, but fierce and friendly is, you know, when we cross, when the whistle blows, you're fierce and you go for the ball. And if you knock somebody down, but then the whistle uh, blows again to stop the game, you help them up and and you can be friends. And that's I just, uh, you know, Tyre was a lifetime achievement award winner uh, of ours uh, a few years ago, and she's just amazing. And I just I love to see the the battle of the bay. It's it's so fantastic. <laughs> we have uh, uh, oh go ahead go ahead. I was just going to say another really neat piece to that story, and, and 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 don't get me wrong. I mean, Tara is a fierce competitor. She probably if we're if we're keeping her up at night watching extra film on us, then I know we, we're doing something right because she she's going to do everything uh, to be able to win a game. Uh, but one really you know kind of neat piece to that story is that when I was 21 years old and a senior at Brown, and I knew I wanted to get into coaching, um, you know, I wrote letters to to every coach in the business just saying this is who I am, want to get into coaching. If you have any jobs, let me know. Tara wrote me a handwritten note back, uh, which which was pretty unbelievable at the time because, you know, she's this legendary coach. And she said, I don't have a position right now, but the women's game needs you, needs people like you. And wow. so to me, to be standing on a sideline opposite her coaching in the same game still gives me, you know, that feeling of like, wow, you know, I can't believe this. But but again, to take the time to write back some 21-year-old on the opposite coast that you don't know uh, is pretty neat. And certainly I think she didn't know that, that someday we'd be trying to take their Pac-12 championships from them. <laughs> Yeah! Wow, that's amazing. Um, we have a uh, we've been talking about a lot about coaching uh, and our our model of the double goal coach. Uh, first goal is winning. Second, more important goal is using sports to teach life lessons. And we we boiled that down to four words: better athletes, better people. And I just want to say I, I feel like uh, you are an exemplar of what a double goal coach is, and would like to have uh, you know every youth uh, every youth coach emulate you. Uh, let me talk about athletes for a second. We have a, a model there we call the triple impact competitor. Uh, the first level is you make yourself better. Second is you're committed to making your teammates better. And the third level is you're committed to making the game better um, by the way you compete. Um, 
What's your reaction to the triple impact competitor model, and are there any players of yours, current, past, whatever, who really um, really seem like triple impact competitors? I think it's a great, uh, you know, kind of way of characterizing it. I, I think that's um, really thorough and, and actually really comprehensive in a lot of ways. And I do think we try to teach those things. I've never said it that way, and that's something maybe I'll use in my vernacular from now on. Um, I think it's really important. Um, you know, we do in our levels of how we kind of train here, um, there's definitely times of the year, and, and often throughout I'll emphasize, you know, adding tools to their own tool belt in terms of their skill set, you know, being the best player they can be, being able to do a multitude of things at their position, you know, their their own mastery of skill is really important. Of course, as a college team, we always talk about then how are you making your teammate better? How are you making – what are you contributing to the team? Um, and, and I love that concept of making the game better. I think particularly in women's basketball, we all have a stake in the game, you know, and, and, and growing it and building it. And I think um, even just valuing the beauty of sport and, and, and how privileged we are to get to play it and coach it. So I think that's a really neat way of, of looking at it. Um, gosh, I've had a lot of um, – I've had a lot of players who I think, you know, fill various roles. Um, one person I, that comes to mind that I would, you know, love to talk about um, who doesn't get a lot of attention is, is a senior we had this year, Abigail Cohen. Uh, she came from Israel, uh, and she was, you know, sort of quite universally considered the best player uh, in her country. In fact, she was, I think, the only female athlete ever excused from the military tele- service in Israel to come over here and play. Um, and and uh, she tore her ACL twice, which clearly – affected her ability to maybe be effective in terms of stats on the on the college level. Yet she continued to do extra workouts, work on her game, um, her shot. Uh, and I would actually argue that, that she was incredibly improved over the time that I was here, even though you didn't necessarily see it in a stat sheet. Um, the second thing is that I would tell anybody who listen that there is no Cal Basketball Final Four without, we call her ace, without ace. Just her value to the team as a leader, as um uh, a teammate, um, whatever it is that that we would need, she would she would figure that out. So so if Lasia needed a confidence boost, or if um, somebody else sort of needed, uh, you know, a, a conversation going to lunch, a freshman, you know, who's struggling, she'd be willing to do whatever to make the team better. Play played, you know, the scout role and, and did a great job of trying to simulate what it is we'd be facing. So clearly, she was making our team better. And then in in terms of making the game better. Um, I, I think this real globalization of, you know, uh, understanding that you can come from another country, you can adapt to our game, you can bring it worldwide, you go out in the community and, 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 and uh, be really popular amongst little kids, you know, coming back to the game. So I, I think she was clearly a triple impact. I mean, there's others that I would put in the same category, but because her situation was so unique and she had such an impact even without necessarily putting up stats, is, it, it was pretty incredible. And to be honest, she, she just got an internship um, at a big major company in Silicon Valley doing leadership consulting for this major company and sort of using some of these things she learned from her athletic experience to, to help companies, um, you know, in their hiring and, and, and how they uh, deal with employees. And I thought that's really, really cool. It's funny because I was just going to ask you where uh, where Abigail is now, so that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, I wanted to um, – uh, first of all, this has been amazing, and I'm just so delighted that you're willing to take the time to uh, to talk about uh, 
how you coach and and because uh, so many people are going to are going to benefit from it. I, I want to thank you for being involved with Positive Coaching Alliance and being on our national advisory board. Uh, it's really inspiring to to me and the other people who are working in the PCA movement to to change youth sports to make it about better athletes, better people, not just about winning all the time, to have uh, people like you and Tara Vanderveer step up and be part of it. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, uh, I'm totally flattered, you know, when, 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 you know, you guys called and I learned more about uh, the Positive Coaching Alliance. I was thrilled because some of the, these are some things that you try and just do in, inherently, but to have a platform to talk about it is unbelievable. And the, the company that, that I'm in uh, is amazing. You know, we're, we're doing an event with, with David Shaw and, and Steve Young, and I'm said, wow, how, how did I get on this panel? <laughs> uh, it, it's really, really neat to, to be around other coaches that I admire, Tara, clearly, people who do it the right way and are role models you know, for the things that, that I value. So I, I appreciate you including me and in, in, in giving so many the platform to kind of share, you know, how, how they do what they do at a, at a really high level and doing it the right way. Well, um, Lindsay, I, I think you may know that I'm a, a Stanford alum. I got a, an MBA from Stanford. So uh, I, I want to end this by saying uh, thank you so much. And uh, believe it or not, go Bears. Yes. <laughs> Converting people one at a time. I appreciate you for having me. Uh, it was great to chat with you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.